You're listening to a sermon from Iron City Church. For unity, for diversity, for the city, and for the glory of God. Kids don't like the dark. Kids don't like the dark. Of course, infants and babies, they don't mind the dark, but it doesn't take long before they mature and develop a sense of self-awareness, I'm here, and depth perception. There's something over there, and I don't know what or how safe it is. Friends, it doesn't take long for young ones to grow in their fear of the unknown. And therefore, and therefore grow in their fear of the dark. Uh, I think of my three-year-old son, Teddy. A recent time we were at our house. I had asked him to go get something upstairs. We were downstairs and he turned and he saw that it was dark upstairs. And he looked at me and humbly asked, Dad, will you come with me? I mean, how's that for childlike faith? Teddy asked for his father's presence. Of course, I said yes. So I followed Teddy up the stairs. He knew he was walking in front of me, but he knew uh, I was behind him. So with a smile, he marched right up on those stairs. It's funny how confidently you can take the next step when you know your father is with you, but that's a different sermon. Anyway, kids don't like the dark. And maybe you don't either. I mean, you've heard me say before, this room might be filled with adults, but in a greater sense, if you're a Christian, I'm talking to a child of God this evening, regardless of how old you are. And yet, we all understand that while you're primarily a child of God, most of us are adults or teenagers becoming adults. And sure, you might not like the dark, but there's another sense in which grown-ups love darkness. I don't mean the absence of light. I mean the absence of being exposed. In other words, we so often love or at least trust in hiding, concealing, secrecy, that kind of darkness. And we rely on that, that kind of darkness because it promises us safety, security. After all, any number, any number of us have things we've said, things we've done that we're afraid for others to know about because we think if they knew who I really am or what I've really done, they probably would not love me. And so darkness promises us protection. If I can keep this, whatever it is, under wraps, if this doesn't get revealed, then I won't lose my family. My friends, their affection, their respect. Our greatest fear then Someone coming in the rooms of our lives and turning on the lights. And that is exactly what Jesus has come to do. And it may feel like death to you 
might scare you to death, but in his light is life that conquers all our fears. I pray you see that tonight. Turn to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 21 through 25 on page 788 of those black pew Bibles around you. If you're new to looking at the Bible, the big numbers are the chapters, the little numbers are the verses. Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 25. Last week as we began uh, chapter 4, we saw Jesus speaking in stories and parables. Uh, A parable is a short story or illustration with a spiritual point. A parable is a short story or illustration with a spiritual point. And last week, Jesus explained why he speaks in parables. Uh, He does this to teach and to test. Uh, To teach those who will listen about the secret of the kingdom of God and to test the responsiveness of his listeners, be they hostile toward him or indifferent. Well, last week we said, it's okay if this all feels like a lot to wrap your mind around because it is. And yet, Jesus in his kindness is going to tell another parable to help us understand why he speaks in parables. Friends, I love this. Jesus teaches with all patience. He doesn't expect us to hear something, immediately get it, and move on. No, he teaches and teaches the same truth again. He's not in a hurry. There's an incredible discipline and mastery of self with Jesus. He's not a slave to his circumstances or his to-do list. And so he teaches much of the same truth again. He operates under the principle the Apostle Paul stated when he wrote to a church saying, to say the same things twice is no trouble for me and is safe for you. Beloved, to be a Christian is not to be someone who gets it all right away. But to be one who sits at Jesus' feet as he teaches it all again and again. Jesus is going to get at much of the same ideas he did last week, but in a fresh way to provide fresh light on the matter. The question is, do you have eyes to see it? Ears to hear it? We'll see. Let's look at Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 25. Hear now the word of God. And Jesus said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket? Or under a bed and not on a stand. For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken Away. This is the word of the Lord. Beloved, we're going to break this text down into two simple points today. Two questions we're going to ask about what Jesus is saying. Here's the first Who is the lamp? Who is the lamp? This first point will be my longest and will cover verses 21 through 23. Point number one, question number one Who is the lamp? 
Uh, I speak of a lamp because that's what Jesus talks to them about. Uh, First, let's clarify who this them in verse 21 is, right? It says, and Jesus said to them. uh, Last week, uh, we left off in our text with a private conversation that Jesus was having with his 12 followers and a few others around him. It's striking. We got to be flies on the wall with Jesus in a private conference between him and those closest to him. So Jesus explained the parable of the sower privately and plainly to them. But here in our passage today, he resumes teaching in parables. And I think with that, we can assume he's teaching the crowds again, likely by the Sea of Galilee. So for today's passage, Jesus isn't just talking privately to his disciples, but to the crowds listening to him. Remember Mark 4.33, we heard last week, says Jesus speaks to the people in parables. But... What you must, must, must understand is that Jesus isn't just speaking to the crowds. He's speaking to you. And he asks you a question. Verse 21. Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? You have to remember Jesus said in the preceding verses that he veils the truth about the kingdom of God in stories. Uh, People would naturally wonder, well, aren't you just concealing the truth? But remember, Jesus had a purpose for veiling his stories. Yes, even these veiled stories would teach his followers about the kingdom of God, but they would also reveal the condition of his listeners' hearts. Friends, Jesus hides things like the truth about his kingdom in order to reveal other things like the condition of your heart. And so, in our passage today, Jesus is saying, oh, don't think I came to conceal. I'm revealing. I didn't come to hide things but to enlighten them. Just as a lamp isn't brought into a room in order to hide things but to illumine them. You bring light to reveal not conceal. And so Jesus' teaching reveals things that were once hidden in the, in the dark. Things like the mystery of the kingdom of God. Things like a hard heart. Hidden sin. Your true spiritual state. Jesus' veiled teaching exposes those things. Just as a lamp in a dark room exposes the realities of that room. And Jesus, his proclamation, his message, his work, his person, his self, he is the lamp. Jesus is the light of the world, the light that has come to the world, the light your world needs. That's the big idea of this sermon. Jesus is the light. If you're taking notes, write this down. Jesus is the light. Beloved, scripture is so rich in this theme to make clear that this carpenter from Nazareth is no typical teacher. He's not a rogue rabbi. No, he is heaven's Messiah. God's son, fully man and fully God, and God is light and in him there is no darkness at all, 1 John 1, 5. And the light has come. Friends, do you see? 
What's going on is more personal than a mere object being brought in a room. Lamps don't teach. Lamps don't walk or come. No, people come, and that is what Mark told us would happen from the very first verses of his gospel. Mark chapter 1, verse 7, John the Baptist says, After me comes he who is mightier than I. And wasn't this the promise of old, that Messiah would come? After rehearsing the epic failures of the kings of God's people and the judgment they rightly deserve, 2 Kings 8.19 says, Nevertheless, for the sake of his servant David, the Lord was not willing to destroy Judah. He had promised to maintain, watch this, a lamp for David and his descendants forever. So Jesus is the Messiah. He's also the word of God. Psalm 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Proverbs 6.23 says, The commandment is a lamp and a teaching, a light. So Jesus is the Messiah, the word of God, the light God's people are centered around. Just as the lampstand was placed in the tabernacle, which represented God's dwelling among his people in the old covenant, the lampstand was placed to shine upon the people, says Exodus 25.37, and we have gathered... So that Jesus may shine upon us and we respond rightly in wonder. And so, Iron City Church, behold your God, who John 18, John 8, 12 says clearly is the light of the world. Friends, Christians have always confessed that Jesus is the light. The Nicene Creed. Written in the fourth century says, we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light. Iron City Church, behold your God. Some sermons, friends, are not about, here are six things you can do to be a more faithful Christian this week. Make no mistake, we want you to be a faithful Christian this week. But the goal of your life is not to do stuff for God. It's simply to see him. The goal of your life is not to do stuff for God. It's simply to see him. Psalm 27.4, one thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Beloved, My job is to help prepare you to see your maker. And this is a sobering thought. Verse 22 should remind us of the final judgment. It makes clear that all things, all thoughts, all deeds will be exposed for what they are. We often say you can run, but you can't hide. Friends, not even running will work on that dreadful day. But... If you're a Christian, you know that you don't have to be afraid of that day. The only place you'll run is into the arms of God whose beauty you will gaze upon. In a way that you can't right now. Right? Right now we see dimly. We can't see God in all his glory. The scriptures are clear. We sang it in Ole, Ole, Ole. Man shall not look upon God and live. Exodus 33, 20. Indeed, Jesus dwells in unapproachable light. 1 Timothy 6, 16. Unapproachable light. That means you can't just stroll up to Jesus and see him in all his glory. It'll overwhelm you. 
kill you. Friends, spaceships fly to the moon, but they don't fly to the sun. Why? For the same reason humans can't just casually stroll up to God. Man can only handle the lesser light of the moon, not the full radiance of the sun. Which is why it is such a mercy that the Son of God veiled that radiance, that glory. Beloved, it's a mercy that Jesus, the Son of God, condescended and became a human, that he wrapped his glory in the brown skin of a first century Palestinian man so he could be seen, heard, touched, known, approached. Have you ever thought of the incarnation as a mercy? Beloved, do you see, just as the truth of the kingdom is veiled in stories, the glory of the king of that kingdom is veiled in a human. I love how one Bible teacher named James Edwards commented on this. He said, the very humanness of Jesus governs the glory of God from overwhelming and blinding the world. Friends, because of his incarnation, the people in the first century were able to see face to face something they shouldn't have been able to see. God. But even in this failed state, Jesus is illuminating. The truth about the kingdom, the truth about his listeners' hearts, and soon the full truth about who he is will be revealed. And that's the point. He's hidden in order to be found. The messianic secret is given in order to be told. The mystery is covered up in order to be revealed to those who want to see it. And so Jesus says, nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. I know I talked about the final judgment, but verse 22, I think, is most about Jesus. His word, his person going forth, being revealed and proclaimed. This work starts small and inconspicuous, but it must go forth just as light does in a room to make things plain, visible, bright. Edward says again, the rather baffling activity of God in Jesus is like hide and seek. Only that which is first hidden can be found. And Jesus, the light of the world, would be so kind to show us his light, even in a veiled way, that we might find him. That whoever follows him will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 8, 12. Friend, do you want that life? Then don't look any further than the light given in these pages, the light of life, Jesus. He doesn't want you to be in darkness. We talked about hiding in darkness earlier. I know it can seem so scary to leave the darkness, to confess that you need help. 
that you need Jesus. That you really have no idea what you're doing. And you're terrified. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 it's okay. Come into the light. There's life here. Friends, darkness promises healing, but it only hurts. Light may hurt for a little, but in the end leads to healing and life. Come to the light. I remember a time I was stuck in some deep sin. I didn't want to tell anyone about it. I didn't even want to admit it to myself. But the grief and the Lord's hand was so heavy on me and my conscience that I just got to a breaking point. So I acknowledged my sins to the Lord. And I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you know what? He forgave the iniquity of my sin. I'm quoting Psalm 32, by the way. Friends, confess and come to the light. Anyone can do this. Did you see in verse 23, Jesus said, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. This call is for everyone and anyone, whoever you may be. This is the call. Hear and heed what Jesus says. Beloved, come while the offer is still on the table. Or Psalm 32 says, let everyone who is godly come to you when you may be found. And if you're sitting there thinking, wait, sounds like you're saying this offer to come to Jesus won't always be on the table, then you are hearing me correctly. Jesus shifts in the second part of our passage to put some urgency on his words. He's squeezing the listener. Let's look at the second half of this passage again. Verse 24. And he said to them, the crowds, pay attention to what you hear. With the message you use, it, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Friends, Jesus is illuminating the truth about our hearts and about his kingdom and about his identity, and he tells us to do something in response. Pay attention. Pay attention. Question number two, are you paying attention to it? Are you paying attention to him? Question number one, who is the lamp? Jesus. Question number two, are you paying attention to him? That's the command, right? Verse 24, pay attention. Listen, consider carefully what you hear your translation might say. Friends, I know this whole passage sounds like Matthew 5 where Jesus says, let your light shine before others, that's good. But this isn't really the point of this text. Friends, we already got enough light in Jesus. We don't need ours right now. No, before we do anything, our job is to carefully consider what Jesus says. In a moment, we'll consider the things Jesus goes on to say. But first, I want to meditate on this simple call to attention. Friends, you will not grow as a Christian unintentionally. 
No one drifts into godliness. No, you must give your spiritual life attention. You must intentionally attend to it. You gotta nurture your faith with God's word, with fellowship with the saints. And so Jesus says clearly, I want your attention. Oh, how those of us who live in a world with a thousand spectacles and notifications, all of which live on a black mirror in our pocket, need to think about where to give our precious attention. Because we can get so distracted, right? Just sitting, mindlessly scrolling on social media. Am I saying social media is inherently sinful? No. Am I saying you can waste your time on it and get addicted to it? Yes. Yes. I love what one pastor said. One of the great uses of social media will be to show on the last day when we stand before God that our prayerlessness was not due to lack of time. Friends, you can give your attention to a million different things, even good things, but even the good things aren't as good as the best thing, Jesus. He wants your attention. Your attention. He called you here tonight to say, I want your attention. Iron City Church, I want to encourage you as your pastor. I love the attention that you all give to God's word. I wanna thank you for paying me so I can give attention 15 to 20 hours of my week to God's word so that you can attend to it and it to you. Beloved, Jesus wants your attention, which means Satan wants nothing more than to distract you. A distraction from Christ is the devil's delight. I love how C.S. Lewis so powerfully captures this in his book, The Screwtape Letters. In The Screwtape Letters, there's a senior demon named Screwtape. And he is mentoring his nephew named Wormwood in the business of temptation. And he does this by writing, writing letters to Wormwood. And Screwtape writes Wormwood a letter specifically about tempting people with distraction in order to get them to fall away from the Lord. Uh, He writes about attracting, quote, the wandering attention of a person through even the most benign of things. This is what Screwtape says to Wormwood. He writes, you will say that these these benign things are Very small sins and doubtless, like all young tempters, you are anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. That is, you're eager to tempt your patient to do some really wicked things. But do remember, Screwtape writes, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy, God. It does not matter how small the sins are provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light, and out into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Your affectionate uncle, screw tape. Friends, I wonder if your attention has drifted 
even if slowly, away from Jesus. If it has, listen up. If it hasn't, listen up to what Jesus goes on to say. He says, verse 24, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. All right, what is Jesus talking about? To be clear, he's not talking about economic theory regarding the redistribution of property or assets or anything like that. Jesus is not a meanie. And he's not a meanie saying, sorry, people who don't have much, I'm taking from you and giving to the rich. Jesus is not the anti-Robin Hood. This passage isn't about that. What it is about is Jesus revealing more and more to those whose hearts are good soil. That is those whose hearts are receptive to his word, who hear his word, accept it and obey it. Jesus is revealing more and more to those who submit to him and less and less to those who don't. Friends, there's only more for you to know when it comes to the gospel of God's kingdom. The gospel is not the diving board from which we jump off into the rest of the Christian life. No, the gospel is the pool itself. There is no bottom to this pool. And when it comes to this pool, let this bake your noodle, the further you dive into it, the more you breathe. That's a different sermon. Anyway, beloved, the scriptures say that the wisdom of God is unsearchable. That doesn't mean we should never start looking, but that will never stop finding. And Jesus is saying here, if a listener truly embraces the message of the kingdom, God will take up residence in that heart and give it more understanding and blessing, both in this age and in the age to come. But to those who are opposed or indifferent to Jesus's message, to those who give their attention to other things, like we talked about last week, Jesus is revealing less and less. We talked about this a good bit last week. If you want to read more about this, you can read the parable of the tenants in Matthew 25, in which Jesus makes this same point. But what I want to drive home is that hearing Jesus's message is not a neutral activity. Sitting under the preaching of God's word right now is not a neutral activity. It's tempting to think, I can come to church and sit here completely and completely objectively and simply hear the word as if we were an authority outside and above the word and that we get to evaluate it. But friends, the reality is that we are under the word and it is evaluating us. Sitting under the preaching of God's word is not a neutral activity. You're either pushing yourself deeper into the truth of the kingdom or further from it. And the degree of attention you give Jesus' teaching will determine your fate. That's what Jesus means when he says in verse 24, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Meaning how you respond to Jesus now is how Jesus will respond to you in this life and in the next. How you embrace his teaching will be how it embraces you. 
Beloved, Jesus is saying that if you submit to what I'm saying, you'll only come deeper into the kingdom and the things of God. If you don't, even the little I'm saying will eventually yield nothing for you but God's judgment. And don't we see this in scripture? This is why Jesus says to his followers when he sends them out, if a town doesn't receive you, move on to the next one. He'll say that in a couple chapters in Mark 6. Friends, this reality of a little being taken away from the one who has not and given to the one who has, this is how the Gentiles heard the gospel. Read the book of Acts, chapters 13, 18, and 28, and you'll see those who carry God's message are like, we're going to the Gentiles because the Jews, tragically, who've been given so much of God's word are not listening. They're not paying attention. Friends, I'm not doing my job if I don't draw out the warning in this passage. If you think, I don't need to pay attention to Jesus now, I'll get right with God on my own time. You are deceived. Screw tape is scoring a victory in your life. The time is now. The day is today to pay attention to Jesus. I mean, obeying his word is not optional to Christianity. It's basic. All of us would do well to ask ourselves honestly. Am I open to the teachings of Jesus? And the chief test of your openness is when you hear teaching that you don't like. Teaching that rubs and pushes back on the things you love and desire most. Beloved, will you pay attention to his word and submit to it then? I think it's natural for most every Christian to be reading scripture and come to parts in which you say, man, I don't like this. This is hard for me. But this is what it says. Friends, at that moment, what will you do? And if you obey perfectly and always trust God's word, you feel free to check out for the next few minutes because you don't need this gospel I'm about to preach. But if you're like me, and sometimes, too many times, you pick your own way, your own word, instead of God's word, If instead of turning to the light, you too often turn to the darkness because at least in the darkness there's comfort and the world seems to make more sense or at least seem to be more how I want it to be. If that's you, then pay attention because there's hope for you. Earlier I said man shall not look upon God and live. The paradoxical nature of the gospel is that that is the exact call of the gospel to look upon Jesus by faith and live. Because indeed, the light of the world burned most brightly on the darkest day. It's astonishing, the crucifixion, that at the crucifixion of Jesus, the gospels tell us that despite the fact that it was 9 a.m. when Jesus was crucified, darkness was all over the land. Surely he bore our darkness as the light of the world was slain. Beloved, Jesus did nothing wrong. But you have. 
You deserve God's eternal judgment for your sins. And so the son of God became a man and died on the cross in the place of sinners for our sins, bearing our punishment. Just take a minute and think about that. Jesus said in verse 21, you don't put a lamp under something, but on a stand. The stand the light of the world was placed on was the cross. Jesus calls us to pay attention, but we can't even pay the debt for our own sins. So he came and was put on the cross to pay it for us. And then he was taken down from that Roman tree as he, after he breathed his last. It wasn't placed under a basket, but behind a sealed tomb in Jerusalem. But the good news of the gospel is that there is nothing hidden that will not be manifest. There's nothing secret that won't come to light, including your sins. But God be praised that there is nothing buried that will not also be raised. Like Jesus' body. Friends, Jesus got up out of that tomb on the third day. And so the apostle John is right to say in John 1.5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Can I get a hallelujah this evening? Can I get an amen this evening? The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Put that on my tombstone, someone, please. I mean, that's got to be good news. Good news. For those of us here whose world is so dark, who feel as if all we know is darkness. Doesn't matter how sunny it is outside, all I know is darkness. Friends, I know some of you want to hide from God. But you can't. And that's good news. Because it means you're not past his reach. And in that most tender place, that darkest corner you're trying to hide in, that's where his light can shine most brightly in your life. And he loves to shine it there. He loves to minister to us in our greatest and darkest areas of weakness and tenderness. So let him in, let the light in, let him shine, let us in. And we'd love to walk with you in whatever you're going through. We quoted, we quoted Psalm 32 earlier about confessing to the Lord for forgiveness. The book of James also talks about the gift of confessing to others in the church. As one brother commented, you might not need to confess to others to be forgiven, but you may need to confess to others to be healed. Let us be a part of your healing. It'd be, it'd be our privilege. And to be clear, you don't have to talk to one of the pastors. You can talk to any of these members. Talk to the person you came with. Don't 
stay in the darkness, come into the light. I know coming to the light can seem so scary. You might let people down. I heard one pastor preaching about this and he said, it can literally feel like death to let go of shame. It's such an insidious, terrible tactic that the enemy uses. Like if I let the light in and people see how ugly this was or how ugly this is, what will they think? How will they respond? And that unanswered question has so much power over our lives, end quote. Friends, in our church, we pray that the power of shame is overcome by the power of the gospel. In other words, we want this to be a safe place for you to bring your darkness into light. This is one of the main reasons we have testimonies in our services. I mean, I think of what DJ Leslie and Melissa Walker have stood up here and shared. Ryan coming to a room full of strangers he doesn't even know, sharing about his weird, kooky Confederate stuff. (laughs) Friends, the gospel frees us from being a slave to people's opinions, from being afraid of being exposed from constantly worrying what so many of you worry about, including myself at times, what do they think of me? What do they see when they see me? The gospel frees us from all that because it reminds the Christian that God sees you and though he sees what you've done, what you've said, what you've thought, he says that thing no longer gets to define you, I do. And you are my child. You're not your sins, you're my child, whom I love, whom I'm not mad at or disappointed with. And I want you to be in a family with your sisters and brothers whom I love just the same, despite the fact that they have their own mess too. And let me just tell you, person hiding in the dark, I'm the lead pastor of this church and I can assure you that all the other people sitting here are messed up too. They got plenty of junk. But this is the paradox of the gospel of the kingdom. We are at the same time messy yet clean, broken yet complete, sinful yet forgiven, children of darkness brought into God's marvelous light. Colossians 1:12, 1 Peter 2:9. All this to say to you who are so scared to come out of your darkness, come and join the club. You can't run, you can't hide. You don't even enjoy running or hiding. So come to the light of the world. Stop trying to frantically maintain your public image so that people aren't let into your dark reality. Come to the light of the world. And let your testimony be that of David's when he writes in 2 Samuel 22, You are my lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness. Hallelujah. Let's pray.
Lord, we do pray with the psalmist that you are our lamp and you lighten our darkness. You lighten our burdens. We love you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.